Hello and welcome to Wayfinding. Daniel, Dylan, welcome. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Feliz Navidad. Um, I'm American. So, how are you guys doing? Good. Doing well. Doing well. Class started today. Class started. Yep. Your little winter semester. Got a whole day of Christmas break. Great. Yep. <laughs> Lovely. <sighs> it's been a day. Yeah. We are in full swing in terms of Christmas production. It's the week of Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, it's just it it's crazy cuz like Christmas is supposed to be Christmas is joyous and special. It is also very stressful uh unless you work at a church. Oh. Well, that's it's very stressful getting everything in order. Um so for us, I'm looking forward to like Getting everything squared away this week, having our Christmas services on Sunday, and then being able to enjoy Christmas Day mm -hmm. where everything's just off. Um, so we could finally rest for a little bit there. So you sounded like you were going to say something, so I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say anything. No. Okay. Good. All right. Well, um, you had questions for us, Dylan? Yeah, just icebreaker questions right now. All right, y'all pick a number one through three. Oh, great. Th uh, I don't know, one. That is perfect, Vinny. I was really hoping you would choose this oh question. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I'm not going to lie. This sounded a lot better when I was tired, and the wording of this question is very bad. Oh, no. But does God disappoint? Can you... Do you have elaboration on this? A little. Okay. My answer for that is no. We just set our expectations on things that we shouldn't be set on, and so we disappoint ourselves in a way. Okay. And that's basically all I got. Okay. <laughs> anyway, can you reset the question? So the question was, does God disappoint? And I said no because we set our expectations on things that we shouldn't have them set on, and so we just let ourselves down. Thus disappointing ourselves. What do you think, Daniel? <clears throat> well, I agree with Dylan. It's like we put our, our expectations real high. Yeah? Like I've heard songs where we're like mad at God, where mm -hmm. we're saying, "Oh, you should have done this, this, and this." Mm -hmm. uh, but in reality, He did it for a purpose. Uh, sure. And we just need to be accepting of that. Uh? Sure. So. Go back into what I was. He was saying, "Yeah, yes." I mean, no. Oh, I'm saying this. <laughs> <laughs> no, God does not disappoint. Yes, yeah, does not disappoint. It's us that disappoint ourselves uh, and are mad at God. Uh, God, pretty mm -hmm, much. Uh. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For the sake of giving a counter argument. Yes, and almost in the same thing, uh, in the same vein. Yes, God disappoints because we have a set expectation of what he should do. And he doesn't do that because it what we have set as an expectation mm -hmm. 
is something that is not like it it's something selfish it's something for ourselves it's not for god's glory in that situation yes god does disappoint because you had your expectations mm-hmm. wrong so in the same vein of what like the same reason you provided mm-hmm. is the same reason i would say an argument could be made that god does disappoint Mm. However, I will say in the grander scheme, I think the question could be interpreted as does God disappoint, meaning if you follow God, does he just not meet your expectations? So does he not set you up for success or all Mm. this kind of stuff, right? No, God does not disappoint because when you pursue God, that is when your expectations fall in line with his will. The more you pursue him, the more your uh, goals will fall in line with what he has for you. And even then, he will over-deliver in yeah. the areas that are most essential. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That's what I would say. I got more icebreaker questions if we want, but other than that, that's it. But, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> are they related? Or not at are all? They, they're, they're just random questions. Just random questions. They're Christmas question. One of them is a Christmas question, though. Sure. Let's say they're Christmas one. So I saw a YouTube short about somebody had a Christmas decoration, like the inflatable ones, and there you are. It happened to be a Christmas tree, but this was a special Christmas tree. This Christmas tree was a rainbow symbolizing the pride flag. I see. And so that brought up the question in my head, where have we missed the point of Christmas if we're supposed to be celebrating Christ? But we have, not we, I'm not a part of this. I don't know about y'all, but I don't have. (laughs) Pride trees? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't have um, pride trees in my yard that just inflate. Mm -hmm. But where have we missed the point of Christmas? Well, I would say a big portion of it comes from Christmas becoming very consumeristic. Mm Mm-hmm. So as Christians, Christmas means we are celebrating Jesus' birth, Jesus coming, God incarnate, coming to be with us in the world. Yeah. That's the heart of it. Now, there are arguments being made that Christianity has appropriated the holiday because this used to be some other holiday in which we come which in, in which we uh, have taken Santa Claus, the tree, the Yule log, the all the different practices that we now have. like there's no reason what does a Christmas tree have to do with Jesus? Mm-hmm. you know, 
what so uh i think christmas has become so many of those different traditions and we get so caught up in the tra- the tradition that for christians when we get caught up in that we then start to miss the point of reflecting on hey jesus came to become human yeah. for you we become more focused in on what gifts do i need to get my parents what gifts do i need to get my brother my sister my whatever like you know like what do i have to get for this person that person oh i got to make sure to decorate my tree i got to make sure to decorate my house it has to be all festive i got to take my instagram photo got to go to church got to do this got to do that there's so much that i got to do because of the busyness of the season all of that just leads to stress <laughs> and you know that's when we miss the point. That's why we miss the point. We focus in on those practices and those traditions rather than the meaning of making more of Jesus. Christ mas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that just about sums it up. Because... I've noticed, like, even over the time that I've been alive, like, I remember going to Christmas Eve service, but now it's just like, oh, like, it's broadcasted now. We don't have to have to go, Mm. especially since we normally go up to Houston for the holidays. Mm. Mm. I don't know. It's kind of similar to, I was actually having a conversation with Hunter the other day about because we're building all this stuff and we're like I was telling him about Preston Wood and how their, their big show. their big show is and, and I was like Mission City is getting like to a production why do we have to have all this big production mm-hmm. just uh, why couldn't we just have a simple just Jesus mm-hmm. thing why do we have to have this big production sure I get it. We need the wow factor to get people in, but why can't we just have a simply just some songs, a message, mm-hmm. and that's it? Uh, why can't it be about Jesus? Huh? How deep you want to go with this? Because <laughs> the. <laughs> That question, dude, if that that could take the entire thing. Why can't Christmas be about Jesus? Boom. What a title. What a, <laughs> you know? Boom. John 4 next week. Let's get into it. So next week we'll be reading John 4. We'll see if I if we can get into it, if, into the, if we can get into the story, but we'll see. Because we're also, listeners, we are getting a late start into this episode, so. Normally we're um, already done by now. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, so Christmas, or even some would argue church, has become an elaborate production now. And why can't it just be about Jesus, about reflecting on him, about let's just do a few songs, but read his word, 
Why can't we just do that? So I actually had this discussion. Uh, this discussion came up yesterday. What's today? Monday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this discussion came up yesterday and similar premise of uh, the American church has become so industrialized industrialized or just like so self-centered or we, we come up with all sorts of different things and we are missing the point of why we have church. So let me, let, let's start there. Mm -hmm. Why do we have church? That's my question to you. Well, I guess the um, main, everybody was saying because of Jesus, we want to hear about Jesus and stuff. Okay. To come together as a congregation of disciples of God's word and share what we have been through to help others who are going through the same thing. Okay. Is church for the believer or the non-believer? Both. Yes, yeah, is that an option? Both? It's hard to say. Well, I guess if you're like going like technical, like we all say it's for both, but technically it's for just a believer, I guess. Because back then all the believers came together to study God's word. Mm -hmm. So they could, I guess, to make disciples back then. Right. To go share to unbelievers. Sure. So yes. I'm assuming it was mainly for training. Training, I guess. So. Sure. Yeah. Uh, discipleship for growing and understanding of God's, uh, of Jesus's teaching and God's teaching, uh, as as we reflect on the Old Testament and uh, so the people in the New Testament that we read of now, they didn't have the New Testament; they mm -hmm. only had the Old Testament. So when they got together, they were studying what Jesus's teachings were as dictated by the disciples, the apostles, and they studied the Old Testament to see what God had put in place earlier. So, yes, the assembly, so church, is for deepening your relationship with Christ so that you can go, so that you can pursue him more, so that you can go and share as you go about your day, your you know, in in your life. If that's the case, then why do we have altar calls? Why do we have meet and greets? Why do we have those things? Like I'm assuming it was it wasn't like. I guess like Jesus' time, like Paul and that stuff, like I was saying, discipleship, I'm assuming it's like was further into the years they started developing and noticing, oh, yeah, why don't we have unbelievers and that kind of stuff. I don't know exactly what decade that would sure. have been. but uh. mm -hmm. When you say being great, do you mean like pastors? Like you meet the pastor? Yeah, yeah. I think... That is because as humans, we want to believe 
somebody who we know personally. Okay. Like if somebody came up on the street and told me that they were Jesus, like, calm down now, cowboy. Like, uh, I don't believe you. Mm. But if Pastor Matt told me that he was Jesus, which that was probably that was a bad example to give. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be, I would believe him, but I wouldn't fully believe him. Okay. Yeah. I should, I should have why done somebody you, other than Jesus. Yeah. Well, why wouldn't you believe the stranger on the street over Pastor Matt? Huh? It, because I know Pastor Matt personally. But you don't know him personally to a level you would believe he's Jesus. Huh? I don't know the other guy on the street personally to a level that would believe he was Jesus. So it's the same, huh? No. I know Pastor Matt more, and so that way, if I am trusting somebody to drive my car, proceed. I am going to choose Pastor Matt over some random guy because I know Pastor Matt and I trust him. I think the analogy falls apart about saying that they're Jesus because I should have done something else. That's that's like a very. I mean that that's a, a statement that. Theologically cannot be made. Yeah. You know? So um, if we change the statement, change the analogy to be who do I trust to teach me about my faith, mm -hmm. to teach me about Christian faith, you are going to have a stronger alignment with someone that you know personally rather than a random person yelling at the street corner. Yeah. You know? I see your point. So, yes, there is that that advantage. The argument... The argument I was trying to bring up was... Uh, if church is solely based... Uh, if church is solely for the purpose of deepening your relationship with God and studying God's word, then why have altar calls? Why have all these things that are meant for first-time visitors? Because the church then is just for people who already are there, mm -hmm. right? Well, the church should also be focused on getting new people, but that should also be done through the methods of people, not through church organization necessarily. Like the, the church, the, the body of believers should be constantly equipping one another to be able to share the gospel as you go throughout your life. Mm -hmm. And so as you go to work, as you go to school, as you go to wherever, you are then able to uh, share the gospel. And if that person has questions or has follow-up or wants to know more, then they come to church. And in that sense, they are then a first-time visitor, first-time guest, right? Mm -hmm. 
So, church is a little bit of both mm-hmm. because we are here to deepen relationship, but we are also here to equip new people who are wanting to know about Jesus. Let's take it to the extreme of now, if we are trying to appeal to the masses and trying to welcome people to to come to know Jesus more, hey, if you want to know about Jesus, come to Mission City, and we have such and such big Christmas production. And even in in your example of of Preston Woods Christmas production, they've been doing that for a decade. And they have like drummers flying in from the ceiling and it's all this kind of stuff. It's like this big show every single year. I laugh because every single year, (laughs) like people freak out about like, I can't believe this church is doing this. They did it last year (laughs) and the year before (laughs) and the year before that. And the one before that. <laughs> like, this isn't a new thing. Welcome to the thank, party. Yeah, thank you for, for finally joining us. Um, so we create this big production in order to welcome people to church. Is that right? Is that right to do so? I mean, I only started going to our like Christmas Eve service two years ago. Huh? Hmm. I used to go to my grandma's church, this little Baptist church. Huh? And all they did was songs, mm-hmm. a message, and they talk about God with the candles and stuff. Hmm. Then they did one last song. Huh? Mm-hmm. It was... And it was, that was it. Uh, but it still felt as powerful as a product. A production, it seems. I guess, yeah, they have to have it for the kids and stuff. But I don't know. I just, I kind of grew up on a small sure. Baptist uh, mm-hmm. church. Uh, yeah. Kind of Christmas Eve. Uh. But I'm like, why can't we do that here? I feel like we have the same. If people love God that much, uh, why do they need a production? Uh, hmm. Production is just yippee, rue, that stuff. I feel like we could do the same amount of songs, a message, uh, and whatever else. Uh, sure. Wow. Okay. I wouldn't say it is right to do, but it is not wrong to do okay because statistically you have hundreds and hundreds of people coming in christmas services because it's that time of the year yes and they think that that's like that's okay to do just come in that one or two times a year and go to a christmas service go to an easter service but they don't have that attention span that we normally do because For we're a long sermon per se. Yeah. Because okay. we are used to sitting 
at least once a week, sit there for an hour, take notes, do something, Mm -hmm. get up and sing songs, Mm -hmm. and then leave, and then go sit in a life group or go do volunteer something like that. Mm -hmm. And if they're only coming in a few times a year, they aren't used to that. And so I feel like a big part of his big part of it is keeping them entertained hmm. and keeping it interactive. I see. So the conversation I had yesterday also focused in on when times were simpler, you assembled together because of a necessity for that community, Mm -hmm. a necessity to have people who are also pursuing Christ come alongside you in your hardship, in the things that you face. And in the American church, we have become so focused in on doing all the show that we lose the main heart of why we are in church. Mm -hmm. Do you think that most people that come to church on Sunday mornings are coming because of obligation for, well, you just have to do, you have to go to church. Like, that's just what you do. Do you think that's their thought? Or do you think it's genuine, I want to be a part of this Bible-believing, Christ-following community? I think it's like 50-50, huh? Okay. Because... Uh... There is that half that grown up, oh, we have to go to church because I my parents told me I need to go to this, this, and mm-hmm. this. And there's the other half that have just been so broken when they go to church, they just feel a sense of relief. Huh? Mm-hmm. So I, I'd say it's 50-50. Yeah? Okay. I'd say it's more people want to be a part of something than people that are just there just for the fun of it. Because as humans, we want to be involved in something, whether that be whether that be gangs or other stuff like that. And some people are broken and have a wanting to come and be a part of a church. But I think a lot of it has to do with people that want to be a part of something in general. And they know that gangs and stuff like that are not the right thing to do. Hmm. And so they come here because our job is to make people feel welcome. Hmm. Because if we aren't doing that, then nobody's going to want to stay. Okay. thinking, pondering. Uh, The question that comes up for me is what is the 
purpose of the production. So we mentioned that it, it can serve as a eye candy, eye candy type thing of like it's something entertaining. But what is the purpose of doing the production? Are we talking biblical or just? I don't know. Well, that's kind of an important part of the question. Let's speak to our current context. So in modern day, what is the purpose of the production? Is it mainly focused the younger generation for like that ooh-ah? Maybe they'll pay it, the younger generation will pay attention, ask more questions kind of thing? Some of it's there. It Definitely you saw a turn in churches go to this kind of style in the 80s and 90s as more and more people started going to concerts and all the kind of stuff. Churches started to incorporate that level of production in their gatherings so that people would see the same level of let's say musicality or production or, you know, um, we could say excellence. People would notice that and be like, Oh, I I have seen Jimi Hendrix do this, but you're talking about something different. You're talking about something that seems a little deeper than just what Jimi Hendrix talks about. So, there was that shift of in order to reach young people, we should do things that are appealing to them. Some of that is there. What else? What, what else would you say is the point? I think a big part of production is the feeling of something big. Because hmm. I feel like if I'm new to the church, I'm not going to want to stick out. And so if I see all this stuff going on that other people are focused on instead of that one new person that's sitting in the crowd, I'd be more comfortable kind of being hidden than sticking out like a sore thumb. Okay. So perhaps at a small church, if you were new, you were only going to church for Christmas because it's Christmas and that's what you do. Mm -hmm. You would stand out more in a congregation of say a hundred versus a congregation of a thousand. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let me present an argument from a person who is deeply interwoven with the production aspect of church. That's kind of your job. It's my job. <laughs> literally my department. <laughs> it's literally the department <laughs> I work in. Um, the heart behind the person is a huge factor. Mm -hmm. While I do believe that sometimes 
we make a we we put together a production for the sake of like well it's christmas like we just got to do it that's what you do you just got to do a big show you know sometimes there is that coming from a worshipful perspective my argument is always yes Church is about Jesus, and you can do it without lights, without sound, without a sound system, without a uh, all the fancy stuff, all the fancy cameras, and and everything you got to pull off. Like, yes, church is about way more than just what my job is. However. I get to glorify God through using my talents in production. I loved programming lights. In, at my church in Illinois, I loved programming lights because I would constantly listen to the worship uh, set over and over and over. And... I would be able to pick apart where do I want to emphasize? What do I want to emphasize in this moment? Typically it's like, you know, the big choruses, the bridges as they, as they build together. Uh, what colors do I want to use during that portion? How do I want to bring this, bring this uh, moment to a climax for the, for the audience? Uh, a lot of people would say, why, why, why would you do that? That's just emotional manipulation or whatever. And it's like, no, that's the art form. I by programming lights. I get to worship because now the lights can show glory. The worship set, choosing what songs to sing, choosing the the songs to um, who gets to sing what and how melodically you're gonna sing this through and and all, all this kind of stuff, leading the congregation. That comes from a perspective of I get to lead people to the throne of God. And even if I'm not like a head lead singer of the whole thing or like whatever, my posture is I get to worship God with the talents of music, singing, guitar, whatever it may be. So... Admittedly, I get stuck in some gray area because I look at it and I'm like, yes, we're so much of the American church is missing the point. So much of the American church, if we just talk about like our week to week attendance, so much of it is just focused in on 
what we, we just run through the program and that's it. Like, you know, we, we everyone knows welcome, three songs, announcements, message, closing, closing song, and dismissal. That's kind of the formula. Everyone yeah. kind of has to run it. We are, we know what to expect. Okay. Isn't there more? Yeah. The whole point of why we gather on Sunday mornings is so that we can deepen our knowledge about Jesus. That should be the focus. That should be the 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 purpose of why we gather on Sunday mornings. That's what I hold on one hand. On the other hand is my creative nature. My creative nature says, yes, that's the point of Sunday. That's the point of wh- why we are assembling in church. And so I want to use my talents to glorify him. And my talents happen to be putting on a light show, having a great sound mix, having cameras to capture the the singers, capture the musicians, capture the people worshiping. Why do we take photos of people when they <laughs> when they're worshiping, when they have their hands raised? Why why am I running up and down the sides of of the worship center taking photos of people when they're crying? Because I want to capture the moment of showing Jesus impacting people's lives. That's the tension I have to hold. So, again, we had this conversation yesterday with somebody, and and I just remember having to reflect on this myself because we're saying, what's the point? We, we're getting lost, ca- getting caught up in the production, and it's literally my livelihood. <laughs> I have to, I have to reconcile that. I have to hold that tension. So it is interesting. It, it, the we, yeah, we circled around it. Now, we get lost. We sometimes get lost in the production, but the heart of church should be focused on Jesus. If the heart is focused on Jesus, the production only glorifies and amplifies that focus on Jesus, on who we're worshiping, on who is getting the glory. Why can't we just do worship? Why do we need the big camera? Cameras, the big lighting. Why can't it just be? It can be. If the question is purely, why can't it just be worship? No, it can. Well, yeah. I mean. We do it here because, one, we're at such a level where we have the resources. Like, let's, let's try to use these resources in a way that, the whole purpose of our, our the whole uh, theming of our Christmas this year is a wonderful Christmas. Literally, when we were early brainstorming was, how do we provoke wonder in the eyes of people 
when they look at our production, when they look at what we do, it should provoke such wonder that it points people to Jesus. That was the heart. So we do the production because we can. We have the manpower. We have the creative power. We have the talent. We have such incredible musicians, such creative minds working on putting together this production. And again, it's all about the heart. We put on this production not for the sake of having a production. We put on the production so that we can deliver the message of the gospel just in a different way, in this way that is with lighting. To which, again, the my argument is always like, well, let's take – so some somebody would, would say – Man, we should just get rid of all these lights. So, like, they're they're pointless. To which I respond, that was my method of worship. Mm-hmm. I was actually worshiping through turning on lights, through through changing the colors at certain times, through programming that, to, through spending hours programming that whole light show. That was actually me worshiping. The songs that we sing like the hours I spent on working on the tracks. Why do we have to have backing tracks for all this? Why can't we just have a piano and a, and a few singers? I actually worked hours to put those tracks together so that they would sound even more excellent so that you could have more to fill the sound. That was me worshiping. Mm-hmm. All of this, why, why do I spend so much time, me personally now, uh, in my current line of work, why do I spend so many hours and hours on video production, on, on photos, on making sure a slider works, on making sure Pastor Matt doesn't get <laughs> ran over by a horse? <laughs> why do I spend time on that? Because I get to worship God through is this camera shot going to be beautiful? Is this message going to be delivered clearly? Is the video going to show people something incredible about Jesus? I'm worshiping through my videography. So I have an emotional attachment to this thing. If you take away the production, you take away my way of worship. And yet I have to sit here and still admit to you, can it be done without it? 100%. Are these moments that we have when we sit here and study God's word, are these moments just as impactful as when we have an uh, elaborate production? Yes. Last week's session was incredible. And I'm sure like John chapter four, it will continue because God's word does not return void. And that we know this. Both deliver. Why? 
because of the heart focused on Jesus. Our hearts, when we gather here to, to have discipleship, are focused in on studying God's word to deepen our knowledge of who Jesus is and who we follow. If our hearts are focused in on who Jesus is and worshiping his majesty and giving him all the glory that he deserves, then the production just elevates that. That's interesting. I never thought about it that way. I I love getting into the discussion. It's it it's a lot yeah. because as I said, I'm stuck in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I I have to admit both have strong arguments, <laughs> you know. Um you think about you're probably the perfect person to ask is you understand both sides of it. I see both. Yes. That's why I love sharing. That's why I love having the discussion. Because I'm like, I see your point. And the production's really cool. Mm -hmm. Because of these reasons. Yeah. Let's see how far we can get through. So, John 4 has... Uh, the story of it's pretty long. John four is pretty long. I want to do just half of it up to verse 38, Mm -hmm. uh, because that is the story of, uh, Jesus and the woman at the well. So let's read through that because this is Jesus very straight up saying, I am the Messiah. (laughs) We talk about like Jesus being the focus of, of everything, this is it. Mm-hmm. Jesus shows up and just says, I'm the Messiah you are waiting for. <laughs> so um, let's go ahead and go to John chapter four, and I'll read us through uh, one through 38. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and made uh, and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But, sir, You don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, 
Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you are living with now. Roasted. (laughs) You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that the Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it here on Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter where, whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And then Jesus told, then Jesus, uh, sorry, then his disciples came back. And they were shocked to find him talking to to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. And Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did Jesus, did did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work. And now you will get to gather the harvest. So, what stands out to you in Jesus's interaction with this woman? So, uh, for our our, um, life group we do on Tuesdays, uh, Mm -hmm. we watched The Chosen. We watched over this episode. Yeah. I just imagine imagine the guy saying, "Wait, you left yeah. your water bottle." <laughs> you left your water. <laughs> yeah. In in the chosen, uh, they depict the story, 
And one of the disciples is like, wait, no, you left your water jug. <laughs> and she's just like, he's the Messiah. I got to go everyone. <laughs> and she's just like running. <laughs> and they're like, what, what just happened? I also love the, the Chosen does a good job of also showing the intensity of this moment, but also the, the partial humor that Jesus has because Jesus uh, asked this woman, can you get me, can you give me a drink? And uh, the woman says like, why would you, uh, why would you ask me to uh, get you a drink? I'm a Samaritan woman and you're a Jew. And he's like, I have water you do not know of. I have living water. And she's like, Okay. What does that mean? He's like, <laughs> this living water you will drink from and never be thirsty. <laughs> and he's like, oh, well, if you have that water, like, can I get some? Like, that'd be great. Then I wouldn't have to come to the well anymore. <laughs> and it's like, no, you're just not, you're not getting it. And then Jesus again, uh, uh, the disciples try to tell him like, Jesus, you got to eat. We got you food. We, we brought you something. And he goes, I have food you do not know of. And they're like, who got him food? <laughs> like, I thought that was, that's what we were doing. Like, I thought we got him food. <laughs> and it's like, again, you're missing the point. It's so funny, though. Um, what do you see in this story about uh, Jesus and his mission? Can you rephrase the question? So Jesus brings to light his purpose mm -hmm. of like, why is he there? Why is he encountering them? What stands out to you about what Jesus says to this woman regarding like why he's here? He basically tells her that he is there for everybody mm -hmm. and he is there to give, give eternal life. Yeah. Yeah. The, the eternal food, the eternal, uh, sorry, the living water that he talks about is the eternal life. It's when you take a drink of water, you get enough satisfaction there's satisfaction that to hold you over for a little while but eventually it's going to run its course and in life you just get enough sustenance so that you can last for whatever time period it is it's allotted for you and Jesus is saying i have a living water that will give you eternal life that this this thirst will not run out but it's symbolic of like, I have something for you. I have salvation for you that you won't have to just like try to figure out different methods of survival here because you will have eternal satisfaction. Um, I want to hone in on this segment where the Samaritan woman 
brings up the question of worshiping worshiping in Jerusalem or worshiping on that mountain. And Jesus says, a time is coming where it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about, about the one you worship, while we, jo- while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the... For salvation comes through the Jews, but time is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So, Jesus is saying that a time is coming where you won't have to be in Jerusalem to only, like, at that time, you could only go and and conduct your, your spiritual practices at the temple. And Jesus is here to show that now that temple wall does not exist anymore. Uh, that that's why when he died on the cross, the veil was torn from above uh, to the earth. Um, that veil tearing is symbolic of now that inner presence is open mm-hmm. to everyone. That veil was the one I told you guys about uh, a few weeks ago, where only the high priest could go in and they would have to pull, have a rope tied around his leg because if he was found with sin, they would have to pull him out. That veil is what was torn. And so it's like, hey, you know that whole thing that's been separating you from the presence of God? That's gone. I'm, t- I'm taking care of that. And so now you can worship anywhere because I have given you the spirit to commune with the Lord in which he endows us with his spirit when we come to know him. And that is how we are able to commune with the father. We no longer have to be in a temple. So a question. Yes. I don't know if it's anywhere okay. near this, but it just came to mind. Uh-huh. So, you know, the Jewish like stuff here in San Antonio, why don't they do that still, still, or why don't, they moved to Jerusalem because they don't believe Jesus came back. Uh, mm-hmm. So wouldn't they still be going by that law? So, yes. Uh, so you have to be in a temple or a synagogue in order to, like, uh, practice your the, the spiritual practices of, of keeping keeping with your faith, right? So it doesn't mean you have to be in Jerusalem. It's just known as that is during that time, Jerusalem was like the capital. And so having the the temple there was a big deal of if, if you're gonna worship, you're gonna go to Jerusalem because that's that's where you know, like that's the legit temple, you know. However, technically, you have temples everywhere. And that's what you have here. Uh, all over the place is Jewish temples because and that partially is because of just history, them having to leave Israel and having to settle in different places. They had to make temples uh, in order to be able to still worship God, still commune with God. And then uh, eventually they were able to move back to Israel and reclaim their, their land. Anyway, that's a micro history lesson. Uh, they do have 
a practice in which you like it's still very encouraged to every Jew go visit Israel. So even if you're let's say you're you're born into a Jewish family here in the states it is still highly advocated for you of like hey once you come of age you should go visit the temple in Jerusalem. You should go to Jerusalem to see the holy sites. You should go visit all of Israel to, to visit the holy sites. Much in the same way that Christians advocate for it, but for Jews, it's like an intrinsic, like, this is your home. This is this is where you are from. So that they have that extra tie to the land of like, this is the one that, this is the land that was promised to you. So... Yeah, that's to answer your question. They can and do still do that now in terms of they go to their temple to conduct worship. And that's the difference in uh, Christians versus Jewish is they go to the temple to do their worship in which uh, Christians now because of what jesus has said here now we can worship and commune with the father no matter where we are do you have questions based on the passage yeah okay why do people worship on mountains in the bible because most of the time you'll hear people worshiping on the mountains and you never hear them worshiping in the valleys is that symbolic to highs and lows no it's just coincidental so it's it's one of those things where it's not designed to mean anything to mean anything however is that a great anecdote yes can you take a lesson from that of it's really easy to praise God when you're on the mountaintop, but you rarely find yourself worshiping in the valley. That should yeah. not be so. That's a great lesson in itself. Mm-hmm. However, that's not by design. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't intended. Right. So the practice you see of people worshiping on top of mountains and hilltops and, and, and different places do you get closer to God? Um, no. So it stems from those are the sites at which God fulfilled a promise mm. or a significant thing happened oh. in relation to God. So think of Mount Sinai. Mm. The location of Mount Sinai is argued today because we don't know specifically on which one it it was. However, we know its significance Mm -hmm. that that is where Moses was able to commune with God. Jacob built a well way back in Genesis. Mm -hmm. Jacob builds a well and is able to uh, pull water from this well, even though it was told to him that everything's dry in the area and there's no chance. Jacob says, my God will provide for us. And so this well exists. This well exists here in this story 
because of God's faithfulness. And so they worship now, they, they worship God uh, now because of what he has done in the past. So they go to that spot and they remember what Jesus had done. What, uh-huh. uh, sorry, what God had done in the past. Oh. In the same way, it's like when, when you visit Israel, mm-hmm. you'll oftentimes just like overlook different lands. So I remember going to, this is actually a really cool thought and then a really cool sentence. <laughs> I've been to the end of the world. Mm-hmm. It's super dope. And you know the earth is curved, right? <laughs> That's not what I mean. Uh, <laughs> I have been to Megiddo. What, what, what? Megiddo. Are you familiar with the term Armageddon? Armageddon, the mm-hmm. term that means end of time, is named after the location Megiddo. Megiddo is this, the, the settlement on top of the, like this area, this hilltop, in which people were settled and the battle to end all of time and to end everything, the, the battle that we read about in Revelation is set in that valley. And so you, I have stood at Megiddo and l- overlooked the Jezreel Valley and it's incredible because you look at it and you... Uh, you see everything so green and lush and uh, everything so life fi- like filled with life right now mm-hmm. and yet that spot is supposed to be the greatest battle in all of time incredible wow from that spot across the Jezreel Valley is well one is Mount Precipice, and the hill right behind that is Nazareth. Down the hill from Nazareth is Cana. Mm-hmm. And so your Jesus grew up looking at where the end of time will happen. Wow. The next hill over, the next mountain over, uh, if you look, uh, so if you're standing at Megiddo, you look to the right from Nazareth. Um, the next hill, it's a rounded one. Like, like, like it's particularly, <laughs> it's particularly round. It's not as like mountainy. <laughs> it's not as sharp. It's very like curved. Uh, anyway, that one is what is known as the Mount of Transfiguration. That is where Jesus went up. We haven't read to that story yet. Uh, spoilers. <laughs> um, that is where Jesus went to uh, the mountaintop with Peter, James, and John. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the reason why it's called Mount of Transfiguration is because that is where Jesus's face was literally transfigured and they were able to see Jesus's heavenly face. They saw Jesus in his glory. In that spot is a church. The church of, like, the church of the transfiguration. And so this 
synagogue, this, this temple per mm-hmm. se, is built to remember the point at which Jesus was transfigured on that mountain. Wow. And there's places like that all throughout Israel because there's so much that has happened there. All these temples, all these places are remembered because of what God and Jesus have done. And so it's not, uh, to, to circle back to your question, it's not an anecdote for, for worshiping Jesus, worshiping God in the highs and lows. The reason they worship at these mountaintops is because they remember God's prom, sorry, remember God's provision in the past. And so they praise him for it and pray that it would continue, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you could stand at, you, you could stand at Mount Sinai, praise God for how he has delivered you from your slavery to sin and pray that he would continue to be with you as you continue to, as you walk through life, still having to bear the, the temptations against sin. Mm-hmm. That's what that would be like. Yeah. You, you stand at the promise of what God has done and you thank him for it, you praise him for it, and you look forward to what he will continue to do. I want to wrap this discussion into um, what we were talking about earlier. To this point of you will be able to worship wherever. You won't have to go to the temple. Mm -hmm. What do you think this means per our earlier conversation of production production versus versus small church? At the end of the day, if you just tear apart, you didn't look at production, mm-hmm. uh, and you compared both of them, I think they're both still worshiping God. Um, mm-hmm. It's just one is more elevated, the glam. Uh, yes. It, I like that terminology of like, one is just per se more, more glamorous. It has the quite literal it has the quite literal light show mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean it's necessarily better yeah than the other what makes one thing better than the other is the heart the whole point of this is that you can now worship god wherever you are mm-hmm. and if you think about it if the small product if the church has the small Church has heart. Yeah, that's great. That's worship. That's that. Mm-hmm. If the big production doesn't have heart behind their production, it's just a show. Well, it's not worship. Well, exactly. And that's where it does become a detriment. That's where the argument of are we losing ourselves in this production does come into play. Because if your heart is not correctly aligned to the gospel then yeah, everything you're doing then is pointless. 
Because if you're not doing it for God's glory, then don't you dare get on that stage and try to say that it is. Try to point people to Jesus when you're sitting there and everything you're doing is just to show off how good you are. Mm-hmm. No. If you're standing up there and you are pointing people to the one who is worthy of the glory, that's beautiful. That's the kind of production I want to be a part of. That's the kind of production I want to see is one that just points people to Jesus. I think the biggest difference between having a production team and not is one that how traditional you're willing to go. Hmm. Cause I'd say this church isn't very traditional compared to other churches, but at the same time, compared to bigger churches, we do seem pretty traditional. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess it really, it does depend on uh, what you compare it to. Mm -hmm. Because in some, in in some aspects, we're not traditional, but at the same time, there has been a new step in, in this whole lineage because there used to be just traditional and contemporary. Mm -hmm. Well, then there became like, modern so traditional contemporary and modern church now there's traditional contemporary and well there's also progressive and this scale just keeps going (laughs) so yeah that that is a, a valid point of we're traditional when you compare us to progressive or when you compare us to like the i don't know ultra chic type (laughs) church like Essen would what do you consider? Um, well, like their show no. is like so. They're so that's the thing, right? Like their show is just it's just a bigger production, mm-hmm. largely. Like we're in terms of church structure, they're actually very traditional, like more traditional than what we have. Uh, the the mindsets that we have, they're a little more traditional than we are. It's just that their production, production is big. big. Mm. But I also look at BBC, uh, um, Cornerstone. Cornerstone. My dad just went to Cornerstone's Christmas service, and we were watching it online uh, last night They're already uh, from having home. Them? Sorry? They're already having them? Yeah, some of their, their like choir concerts or something, um. whatever it is. Um so we're watching this Christmas show and my mom called me over. She's and specifically the wording she used was, I wanted you to see the lights to see what they use because Cornerstone is such a traditional church and they have a bigger light show than we do. It'll really mess with your mind. Wow. Like <laughs> they have a bigger light show than what we do. Possibly 
CBC is capable of bigger light shows. They don't do bigger light shows. They use their lights differently than what Cornerstone just did. And so what messes with your mind a lot is like, look at CBC and look at Cornerstone and Cornerstone will put on a show that looks more showy and CBC will put on a show that is more artisanal, more creative Mm -hmm. because that's their styles. Mm -hmm. They all, so all of us, let's lump us in there now, all three of us have big productions. We do it at different style. We do it with different styles. Cornerstone has a traditional big show. CBC has a more like creative flair type Christmas show, big show. We have a more middle of the road. We want to show off some cool stuff. We we pick a theme. We're middle of the road. Uh, we're we're not really traditional, but we're also not like trying to do all these. Yeah. Uh, we don't have. We're not coming in from the ceiling. We're not. We're not r- flying in from the ceiling yet. Yet. Mm-hmm. And that's next year. I'm just kidding. <laughs> get, uh, <laughs> get on. Get on it, Daniel. Yeah, we need those in, those pulleys installed. Uh, that will be something I will not be the first to be on. <laughs> you'll be the uh, you'll be the guy on the other side yeah. holding the rope, <laughs> just <laughs> repelling. Hey. Um, Got no more rope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. To wrap up that discussion, uh, you can be traditional and still have a big show. You can be contemporary and not do a show. All of that, there's such a big spectrum of, of that, which is why I have to, which is why I have to continue to hone in on it's the heart behind it. The rest of it is just like your flavor, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. Transformation Church, very different church than 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 what we are, mm-hmm. and they know that. Yeah, they do shows that are so like crazy high budget, crazy incredible production value. That's their style. They also preach differently than we do. They also deliver messages in those sh- in those uh, productions than we do. That causes a lot of people to hate them. They are reaching their people. Yeah, they're reaching a particular set of people. That's that's what they are trying to do with their productions. They are trying to engage those people and then get them to come to church so that they can tell them about Jesus. Mm-hmm. They know that they are not everyone's cup of tea. And so they literally have a not your cup of tea card <laughs> that somebody comes up to the, the connect center or whatever they would call it there. And they're, if they complain, they're like, man, I don't know about this church. Like, it just seems weird. They're like, we get it. We do things very differently. Here's other churches here in the town that are good gospel believing Jesus focused churches. We know where our style is different. 
but we don't want that to stop you from pursuing a relationship with Christ. And so here's other churches that we know of are solid Bible-believing churches. Go check them out. That's really cool. I thought that's awesome. Yeah. And I think it's the same here. Cornerstone is not my cup of tea. It is my parents. My parents love their style of music. My parents love their 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 teaching style, and they have my my dad's a an, an usher there now, and he gets to do you know like there's there's different ways that they have gotten plugged into the community there. It's great. I wouldn't feel connected to that community. Mm-hmm. I do feel connected to this community. My sister and brother-in-law go to CBC. I like some of what CBC does. I admire their production. I mm-hmm. get to learn from a, a lot of their production stuff. Uh, Cynthia and Jimmy, their cup of tea is also not Cornerstone. And their cup of tea has now just shifted to be CBC. They like Ed's Pastor Ed's teaching. Mm-hmm. They like the community they have formed with their life group there. Great. What matters is that you are pursuing a relationship with Christ. No matter where you are. No matter where you are. So, yeah, that's the, that's the main focus. We can now pursue that relationship anywhere. Mm-hmm. Those are flavors. What matters is what the heart is focused on. Make sure that the heart of the church is focused on making much of Jesus rather than just putting on the show. Yeah. Oh, I know like your parents used to come here, like Jimmy mm-hmm. and Cynthia. Mm-hmm. What changed for them here to make them want to go try a different church? Huh? So a big thing for them was the change in community. Over time, more and more people left that were in my parents' life group. Mm-hmm. And we started serving at Northwest uh, when it first opened, when it was in the dance hall. Um, we started serving over there. Everyone was new. Uh, we felt called to go serve in, in, to, in that season. But then just circumstances changed of so many people swapping out. Um, a lot of the community here at Central uh, started going to different churches for different reasons. And so my parents didn't have uh, their community anymore. And because of that, they were eventually led to join, to go to um, uh, Cornerstone because it had a group of uh, Hungarians, some of our, our family and friends, that they were able to connect to go to church together with them. And as I mentioned, my dad really likes their style of, of worship. We went very modern with our worship style. It's not really theirs. They, they grew up on Bill Gaither and gospel, like gospel bluegrass type of the, you know, like that's their style. So they love getting to worship with, uh, getting to worship in that, flavor per se of worship. 
Um, I don't care for it, which is why I don't like going to Cornerstone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Cynthia and Jimmy, I think, was very similar. A lot of their friend group had uh, they had grown up together in in youth group here, and then different people moved to different cities, uh, moved away for college, and uh, different leaders had subbed out that they were serving with, and uh, eventually they felt uh, the same kind of disconnect from community. And I think another factor was uh, Jimmy's family would go to CBC. So they eventually found their home at CBC, and so Cynthia and Jimmy serving here at Mission City, they became pseudo like on their own uh, here because again, all their friends moved away. They didn't have as, as strong of a community here and their family had now started going to different locations. I had moved away, so I wasn't here. So it, again, they were um, their, their community was not here. And because of that, they decided to go to CBC to be with Jimmy's family for church. They could worship together. And what's great is CBC is still gospel-believing, Jesus-focused. They have, you know, great worship and they uh, a style of worship that they enjoy. So great. Then they can go and enjoy that, you know? So you don't fault anyone for, like... I don't fault anyone for changing up churches. If you give me a good reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Like, like I've talked to some people that they just seem like church hoppers. Like, yeah. They don't like, they'll go for a couple months, they'll get plugged in, and there's something I don't like, and they just leave uh, right. a church hop. Uh. And that's what I don't like. I don't like the nature of church hopping. I I would say also that I don't think they like it. Those that do probably don't actually enjoy it um, because it is hard to like hop all over the place and not actually Mm -hmm. have community. However, I think what always catches them is they find something they don't like about a particular church, particular community, whatever, and they use that as justification for like, ah, this is just not good and I got to leave. Well, maybe not. Like, maybe you should just like talk to the leaders. Try to, maybe like if you, if your life group had such and such disagreement, find a different life group or have you first even tried talking to the leader? Mm-hmm. You know, how many times people just like, leave a church because pastor said something and they haven't even bothered to sit down with pastor Matt or with like a campus pastor or some kind of pastor here on staff. We would love to sit down and talk with people. Like let's have the discourse. Mm -hmm. You can't just like go around hopping between churches just because you find a disagreement every five months, you know? Yeah. Like, 
I don't think that's healthy. Well, we are going to continue John 4 next week. Oh. Amen. I will have to keep you posted about what we do next week. Yeah. 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 Because well, I don't think we'll be on. I'm pretty sure we're not going to meet on Christmas. Yeah. No, we're not meeting on Christmas Day. Um, so, yeah. We'll figure it out. To be determined. Let's say in the next session, we're going to read there the, we go. John 4, the rest of John 4. And then we'll go from there. But to wrap it up for today, Daniel, Dylan, thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for the questions and everything. See you guys next year. Next year? Or, yeah, I mean, again, we don't know what, yeah. what, <laughs> what we're doing. But we'll see you after Christmas. That's for sure. That's well, for sure, because this yeah, episode we'll airs after Christmas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Merry Christmas to everyone. Thank you guys for listening, and we will see you in the next episode. Bye.